everybody. I'm Kelly Ellers. I'm Jeffrey Lennon. And this is Volume Up by The Tees. True to you. Beautiful, natural-looking color results. Honest formulations and packaging. Sounds too good to be real? It's real. I promise. It's TBH. True, beautiful, honest. With naturally derived ingredients, vegan and PETA approved and recycled packaging, this multi-dimensional permanent hair color works to elevate the hair's natural highs and lows. Shop TBH on Salonary.com, linked in the show notes. Okay, so she's back. She's back, and this time she's brunette. You can buy yourself, hmm? Who is it? Jeff, any guesses? <laughs> well, with that beautiful um, <laughs> intro, I mean, it's Miley Cyrus. Of course. Miley Cyrus of the mullet fame. I mm. am still not over that whole look. The <laughs> mullet was top. It was chef's kiss. Mm. But I love, the, I, I liked the Berlin throwback with the two-tone brunette underneath, blonde on top. But now we flipped it. Mm-hmm. That's the news story. Kelly, what are we What are we looking at? I love it. I think it's amazing. And I do think it's going to be trend-setting, to be honest with you. I think we're going to see it probably not roll around until the fall, you know, if I had to predict. But I think it's stunning. I think she's stunning. And if you're wondering what we're referring to, it is her platinum hairstyle is gone. And now it features chunks of dark brown strands. So I love it. It's a little bit more... Um, her back in the day, if you will. Yeah, it's like the better upgraded version of that whole chunky highlight. Agree. Like I'm, I'm thinking like imagine Kelly Clarkson in that awful, Oof. but like good and <laughs> reversed to brunette highlight. Yeah, you know, it's great. I love it. I'm obsessed. That's kind of a mind meld, but good, but reverse. But anyway, we <laughs> like it. We love it. Speaking of ladies that we love. I really enjoyed my time with Hayden Cassidy on the last pod. She specializes in men's hair and merging techniques from every aspect of barbering and gaining inspiration from her experiences and exposures of different countries and cultures. It was one that you don't want to miss. I learned so much. She's so fascinating. She also recently collaborated with Andis Company, where she is the global educator and dropped 12 long-form haircutting tutorials that are available for free at andis.com and on Andis Company's official YouTube. Definitely check it out, Hayden Cassidy. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Read the Tees and send in questions to volume up at thetees.com. This week, we're talking with Lisa Din. Lisa is a salon owner and hairstylist slash colorist. She was born and raised in Toronto and has been in the beauty industry now for over 15 years and a salon owner for over half, which is crazy. Hair is her passion, and she's dedicated her life to learning, innovating, and creating. Lisa has worked hard to build her own brand and create a salon that she's incredibly proud of, which we talk about. Over the years, she has learned to always stay true to herself, believe in yourself and your goals, and never give up on your dreams. And, you know, I'm I'm a sucker for a good segue, but speaking of dreams, <laughs> um, have you ever heard of It's a 10 Hair Care? I mean, because who hasn't? Hmm? Uh, who, yeah, who hasn't? That's the better answer. It's casual, right? It's a rhetorical question. Of course we have. <laughs> So it's one of those like category disruptors, right? It's founder and CEO, Carolyn Aronson. I actually just witnessed her receive an incredible award by Beauty Changes Lives a couple weekends ago. She is very, very fascinating. She's actually going to be, spoiler alert, on the pod in a few weeks to come. So super excited about that. But talking about the news, they're now offering exclusive salon pricing to licensed hairstylists to our community. So head over to itsa10pro.com. 
again, specifically designed with exclusive pricing, which I absolutely love because you know it is a formulation and brand developed by hairdresser for the consumers and also for hairdressers, right? So I love that they launched on National Hairdresser Appreciation Day. All you have to do is head over to the new website and sign up using your license number and you get access to the pricing. So there you go. Easy. Love that. Love it. Um, other things that we love, thetease.com, our very own site. <laughs> uh, let's talk about things that are trending over there. Our editorial team has been hard at work this week, uncovering industry news, looking into trends and diving into brands that you don't know, but should. And here are some of Kelly and my favorite headlines. The first one, headline, the under the radar makeup brand that you need to know about. After growing tired of mixing lipsticks together to achieve the perfect shading formula, Palestinian-born twin sisters and world-renowned DJs, Simi and Hayes Kadra, decided to create their own brand to solve this issue, Simi Hayes Beauty. After years of using stickers to create eccentric makeup looks, Simi and Hayes had an epiphany and realized that their beloved stickers could actually be turned into an eye makeup product. Following the brand's launch in 2021, Simi Hayes Beauty quickly gained an immense amount of popularity due to its unique range of stick-on makeup designs that can be easily applied to the face, instantly creating a striking look on users. Head to thetease.com to learn more about this brand. Kelly, the question that I've got yes. is related. It is. Just follow me. Okay. I'll wait. Do you ever just buy things based on the packaging? Definitely. <laughs> Their packaging is beautiful. That's like, I don't have a need for an eye applique to be clear in my day to day, but I am looking at lip balms because those packages, like the great, like the chunky. I'm yeah. It's awesome. Oof. It's well, well done in a very crowded space. Right. Well done. And, and, you know, I would, I like to think that maybe I would have a reason for an eye adornment, a moment. Maybe I'll bust it out at, at an upcoming event I have because I think it's also beautifully done and so on point and right on the heels of Coachella where I've got to believe people were rocking the look. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> and if you're not getting to it, go to the tease.com, check that article out. Next up, American Crew launches new Join the Crew campaign centered around its best-selling styling pucks. American Crew is making a case for embracing your unique hair individuality with its newest campaign, Join the Crew. Centered around the grooming brand's best-selling styling pucks, this dynamic campaign not only celebrates the versatile styles of its products, but also of the people who use them. Join the Crew invites hair aficionados around the world to bring out their best, most unique selves with the American Crew styling products that are designed for all hair types, textures, and diversities in mind. Learn more over on the tees. I mean, the brand's been around since 1994. I, again, recently had the pleasure of meeting the founder, David Vercuglia, and He's a total badass, super cool. And I've been a big fan of American Crew for a long time. My husband is. We have pucks in our house. <laughs> Look at that. So big supporter. I love the new campaign. All right. And last but certainly not least, the title. Dream Girls co-founder Tanya Thompson talks salon life and what's next for brand. If there's anyone who knows a thing or two about building a mega successful hair care empire, it's Tanya Thompson. She is, after all, one half of the sister duo behind the Dream Girls brand, which consists of two thriving salon locations in California, as well as a signature product line that has amassed $2.5 million in sales in its first year alone. With Dream Girls, Thompson and her sister, Sheree Wilson, have made it their mission to teach Black women how to grow healthy, long hair. Together, they've already helped thousands of clients reach their hair goals through their in-salon healthy hair program and their at-home five-step healthy hair care system. 
The teas had the pleasure of connecting with Thompson at her salon in Culver City to learn more about their business as well as what clients can expect when they walk through the doors. Head to theteas.com to learn more from the co-founder herself. My question, Kelly, and this is not to like get you to say something you don't want to say. I'm admitting to this. Have you ever been to a salon that has a second or a multiple location mm-hmm. and been like, what's going on here? Um, I myself visited a barber shop that had a location on the east side in LA and the west side. And it was like a weird fun house mate. Like I couldn't, it was kind of the same, but it wasn't the same. I'd love to know. Have you had an experience? <laughs> you know, I don't think I have, to be honest with you, but I, I, I would I would say from a spa perspective, yes. And there are vast, very vast differences. And I got to believe, where's the brand police on this, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a good question. Where's the consistency? <laughs> well, the fun thing about the article on the tease is that they talk about this exact thing and the big differences between the locations while maintaining that overarching brand presence and policing, if you will. Okay. I found it to be really interesting because I hadn't thought of this, but also it makes total sense. So looking forward to hearing what people have to say about that one. As always, so much going on at thetees.com. Thank you to our hardworking editors. We're proud to publish the stories that salon pros and consumers care about. Next up, Jeff's conversation with Lisa Din. Take it away, Jeff. Lisa Din is a salon owner, hairstylist, and colorist. She was born and raised in Toronto and has been in the beauty industry now for over 15 years and a salon owner for seven. Lisa is also a global color ambassador from Rock and Oil. Hair is her passion, and she's dedicated her life to learning, innovating, and creating. She specializes in a technique called foliage, recreating balayage highlights in foils. She loves face framing, lived-in dimensional balayage looks with contrast and lightness. Lisa also loves transformations from dark to light and long layered haircuts. She's worked very hard to build her own brand and create a salon that she's incredibly proud of, and she loves building relationships and building teamwork. Over the years, she's learned to always stay true to herself, believe in yourself and your goals, and never give up on your dreams. I am joined by Lisa. Lisa, welcome to the Volume Up Podcast. How's it going? Not bad. Everything's going great. How are you, Jeff? Doing very, very well. Uh, You're calling in from Canada, which is exciting. We've got international guests, y'all. Most of our guests are from the US, so this will be fun. Yeah. We're going to talk about all things related to your background. So let's get started at the beginning. Um, Did you always know you were going to go into beauty? You know what? I learned at a very young age that I wanted to get into beauty. My mom took me to get my hair done when I was nine years old. And I got that Christina Aguilera blonde and red highlights. And yes, Yes. honestly, I just felt like the coolest nine-year-old. You probably were. And I think that really like sparked my interest in the beauty industry because I just felt like, you know, being in grade four, having that done, I felt so confident. And I think that really got me into the industry. Oh, I love that. Um, so yeah. in terms of going in, what was schooling like? Uh, talk to us about that. Is it any different in Canada? I don't know. Um, I'm terribly ignorant. In Canada, I mean, I think it's fairly the same. We go to hair school. It's about like a 10 month to a year program. And then after that, you go out and you do about 1500 hours assisting. So I don't know if that's the same over there, but that's kind of how it works here, where we go to hair school and then you can choose a salon to do your apprenticeship for. So that's kind of what I did here as well. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I took a 10-month program. As soon as I was out, I went straight into the hair salons. And what was that like for you? Did you feel like you were prepared from schooling to, to be in the salon? To be honest, no. Um, I think a lot of it is school gives you the foundation, but coming out of school, 
it's a whole nother ball game. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like every stylist working in a salon, once we hit that floor, it is so different from what we were taught in school. So I did not feel prepared at all. I feel like this is honestly something that comes up quite often this very podcast. Uh, people talking about school being, as you said, like foundational, but not enough. Um, so, okay, we are doing our apprenticeship. We're working out. We're behind the chair. Um, what made you sort of feel like you wanted to continue? Like, what was it about that experience where you're like, this is for me. I'm going to keep going. I'd love to hear about that. So I just knew that there was more to this industry than what it was coming out of hair school and being an assistant. Mm. I was like so hungry, so driven. I wanted to learn as much as I could. And that's when I learned that working in salons, when you start as an assistant, you don't get that. You don't get that passion and all those opportunities when you start. So for me, I knew it was there. And I just knew that I had to push from the beginning of being an assistant to get to that end where there was endless opportunities. And I feel like that's what kept me going was like, I knew that there was so much more on the other side. I love that. Um, Okay. So on the other side, um, we're going to do a fast forward a bit, which is that you are a salon owner and you've been a salon owner for half of your career, which is not a small feat. So talk to us about like, why why did you think like ultimately this is what i'm going to do i'm going to be a salon owner because a lot of people do not go that route um would love to hear it yeah so how it turned out was that i actually wanted to find a salon where i could grow and i could like become a stylist and i feel like i was in and out of so many salons in my career Mm. i couldn't find a salon that you know would mentor me i couldn't find a salon where i had that opportunity to grow so because of that what i ended up doing was i was freelancing for five years after working out of all these salons, because they just got to the point where I really wanted to grow as a stylist. Mm -hmm. And since I couldn't find that after the five years, I decided to open my own salon. And it just, it wasn't something that I knew early on in hair school. It was something that kind of, since I couldn't find that salon, I created it Mm -hmm. where a place where I could feel safe, where we could grow and reach our full potential. I wanted a salon to have everything that I didn't have when I came out of hair school. Let's go into that. What did you feel like you didn't have? And what was important as you were thinking through, like, I'm going to have the salon that needed to be there? I felt like I didn't have mentorship. I think a lot of us coming out of hair school, we want that. We want someone to kind of take us in Mm -hmm. to mentor us. And I feel like early on as a stylist, that's so important in your career. And I just felt like I couldn't find that. And all the salons I was working at, like, Everyone had promised, you know, once you're an assistant, we're going to teach you, you know, how to do this, how to do that. And once I got on the floor, I hit the floor. All I did was clean. And I understand that's the job of an assistant. But the difference between our salon is we make sure that our assistants are learning at the same time. Mm. So I think that's what's missing. That lack of like leadership was missing. And just like, you know, having a leader that like inspired me as a hairstylist. I think that was missing. And that's something that I really wanted to bring to the table when I opened my own salon. Oh, I love that. Um, when you're looking for people to join your team, what are the sort of characteristics? Um, what makes for a successful team member for you? Um, great question. So I did go through a lot of trial and error with this because, you know, being a salon owner, I mean, everything was new to me. Yep. Managing a team was new, leading a team, hiring a team. I think what was so important was I chose character over skill. Mm. And the reason for that was because you can't change character and attitude, but you can develop skill. So with that, you know, I would interview stylists asking, you know, what's your five-year goal and what are you looking for? 
And I could tell right away who had the right attitude mm. and who was in the mindset to learn. And I knew that those stylists, we could teach them and mold them to be great stylists versus if a stylist came in and they had, you know, amazing skills, but they didn't have the right attitude. There's no longevity in that. Mm. Well put. Um, <laughs> I just love when people lay it out uh, in this way because you're right. Like it makes perfect sense. Like you could you could learn how to do X Y Z, but if you're not a good person, maybe we shouldn't be working together to begin with. Um, talk to us a little bit about the stylist um, in terms of the setup. So, are most people working for you directly? Are they renting booths? Would love to hear about that. So our structure, when I first opened, I wanted to make sure we were all a team. Mm. So in terms of that, it's all commission stylists. Everyone works as employees. And I just found that that created a lot of team unity. Mm -hmm. There was no separation in having, you know, chair rental. And I really loved that. I loved that we could work together as a team. Everyone felt like a team. So our structure is completely all commission stylists. And I did start on the side chair rental, but it's completely separate from our salon. Mm. Yeah. And that was really interesting too. Well, talk to us about that then. What was what was interesting about it? So what was interesting was since um, being a salon owner for, you know, the seven years, a half of my career, mm -hmm. I realized that once stylists do get to the pivotal point of, you know, building that clientele and being senior stylists, they're going to want more. And I think what I didn't realize, because I've never worked in a salon long enough to, you know, become a senior stylist until I opened my own, was that stylists will eventually get to the point where either one, they're going to stay a commissioned stylist, or two, they're going to go off on their own, becoming an independent chair rental stylist. Mm -hmm. So what I wish I would have known early on, or what I could have done differently, is I would have structured the business where when the stylists were ready to go on their own, that I would have a chair rental available for them. Mm. So that way they still stay within the business, but you have that opportunity for them as well. That makes sense. Uh, Lisa, do you still work behind the chair? I do. So I kind of do it all right now. I'm playing many roles. Yep. So I work behind the chair three to four days a week, manage the salon. I'm an ambassador for Moroccan oil and I'm starting a new business venture. So congrats for me. Like, yeah, I, I love the creativity of it all. And I feel like even if I cut down being behind the chair, I still need that creative aspect of being behind the chair, but also running the business too. Mm. All right. So from your end, um, as a business owner, as a salon owner, what do you feel like is the most rewarding part? The most rewarding part is honestly seeing the team do well. I think like once you become a salon owner, that leadership role really takes over. It's no longer just about me. You know, even though the name of the salon is under my name, it's now about the entire team. Mm. As I feel like the most rewarding part is when I get to see us all thrive and you like, it makes me feel like, okay, great. Like I built the salon that I had wanted for myself when I came out of hair school. Oh, I love that. You know, so like that's super rewarding. It's just rewarding to know that like I was able to do that for others. Well, let's flip it. Uh, the most difficult part. Mm -hmm. There are many challenges, I think, to being a salon owner. I think the most difficult part is managing expectations. Ooh. Yeah. And I think that that goes to managing expectations of not only clients, but of, you know, of staff and of the team as well, mm -hmm. because like the expectations are so different for everyone. So I think like the biggest challenge was me learning how to manage those expectations, but also learning how to lead a team with different personalities. Sure. Like everyone's so different with how they receive, you know, feedback. So that, that was a learning curve for me. 
And certainly not something that they bring up in cosmetology school. Uh, so <laughs> we connected originally um, based on uh, you contributing to an article on the tease.com as regards inflation. Yes. Inflation is obviously quite a hot topic um, in our industry around the world. You're in Canada, we're in the US. Um, we'd love to understand at this point, several months out from when we first connected, how do you feel like inflation is impacting how you're running your salon? So I still feel like inflation is still such a big thing that's happening this year right now. Mm -hmm. It's causing salons to slow down because, you know, with inflation and everything going up in price, a lot of clients are being a lot more mindful. Mm -hmm. They're thinking a lot more about their budget and hair now has become more of a luxury service. So I definitely think like inflation has affected the beauty industry as a whole. In terms of what we've done, we've really worked on cutting down our product costs because that is part of inflation. And we're really focusing on what can we do for the client? If it's out of their budget, what can I do to still get them in the salon? Well, I love that you said we, um, and you had mentioned how important it was to you to build a team for your salon space previously. So what are those conversations like with the team um, as regards like working together to help each other out? Uh, Because it sounds a little bit different than others who are like worried about themselves and their own clientele. Yeah, well, we've had a lot of meetings where we're talking about like everything that's happened in the last few years, you know, with the pandemic, um, with the closures, with the price increase, Mm -hmm. just making sure that we're all on the same page, that everyone's comfortable, everyone's comfortable with if a client walks in and, you know, that budget is out of their budget, what can we do to help them? I think having those conversations are important because like, since we are a team, I can't have one stylist, you know, be like, okay, this doesn't fit your budget. Well, then we can't do the service. They have to adapt. Mm. And in these times, like we really have to adapt in creating if it's a you know a service where it's a face frame or just a toner, or if it's a an express service, at least that still keeps that client there. Mm-hmm. When times pick back up and inflation hopefully, you know, slows down over the next year. Fingers crossed. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, you've just given some gems um, in terms of advice, but would love to hear from you. Is there anything in particular for others that you might want to advise that they consider as they're sort of navigating inflation for themselves? I think considering, yes, product costs, but let's just say someone does own a salon or they have an assistant, mm-hmm. considering the hours that you're putting into that too. Because what I'm kind of challenged with right now is, you know, if it's not as busy as it was, you know, having assistance there and having product costs, everything adds to an expense. Mm-hmm. So really going through your numbers, seeing if, where you can cut down other than products. I think that helps. And if it's an independent stylist um, with inflation, just creating express services that will help keep the revenue up. And I think a lot of stylists are not creating express services. And I think that's really what's going to help them get through this year. Mm. Well, I love that. That's certainly something to keep in mind. Um, Another thing that I'd love to chat a little bit about um, is tipping. Mm -hmm. So in the States, at least, tipping is a huge part of how stylists are making a living and the recession and inflation being what it is. We've already talked about people, consumers viewing hair services as a luxury. This is impacting how much they're willing to spend in general. And then tipping on top, it's like, you know, these navigation points that are causing lots of, you know, conflict and and stress. Um, So from your end, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts? Like, do you think that salons should consider doing away with tipping? Mm, Going to, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, you know what? Like since everything has happened in the last few years, at least in Canada, I found that our clients have been really 
empathizing with a lot of us and like with everything that happened with the closures and inflation <laughs> that like they've still been tipping. So in terms of tipping etiquette here in Toronto that we've experienced so far, our clients have still been tipping, you know, between 15 to 20%. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they understand that everyone's going through this. Mm -hmm. So we haven't changed any of that etiquette. We kind of leave it up to the client if they want to tip or not tip. Um, and at the end of the day, it's totally up to them. And I think just like having that option is nice because, you know, stylists, we work so hard. We put so many hours in. And again, it's totally up to the client. But I think like giving them that option is nice because, you know, if they can't, we understand as well. Yep. Uh, I love that. Very well put. Let's talk a little bit about why you decided to create your own salon. Um, so uh, in doing a little bit of pre-research, there was conversation around when we've even talked about it here on this podcast so far, yeah. wanting to create a space that you didn't have for yourself. So I would love to understand um, a little bit more about that experience because I know that a lot of our listeners have felt similarly. Um, could you talk to us a little bit about to the extent you're comfortable, your experience with some of the places that you had been prior to creating your salon? You know, I had a really tough time in the beginning of my career because I felt like at the time there was no Instagram, there was no social media. It used to be like you would go to the mall salons, whoever you got as a new talent, a junior and senior was who you got. Mm. So what I really struggled with was I couldn't find a salon where like I could grow in as a stylist. And what I think a lot of stylists are challenged with is they end up working in a salon and not feeling fulfilled. Mm. And I really felt like a lot of the salons, the owners didn't appreciate me as an assistant. And I did feel mistreated in many ways in a sense of a lot of the owners would keep us as assistant. They didn't let, you know, I, I really wanted to do color. And I remember working at the last salon, he wouldn't let me do color. And I was like, please just let me do color. And you know, that was something that I think was a really missed opportunity because I felt like if I had a salon where I could do color and literally thrive in, maybe I wouldn't have a salon today because I would just feel appreciated. So I think what a lot of stylists are not feeling is appreciated. Mm. And I think a lot of owners, at least, you know, back in the day, really kind of just never gave those opportunities and never saw the importance of giving assistant those opportunities. Mm. That assistant could end up being one of the strongest colors in the salon, bringing so much revenue. And I think that's what a lot of stylists feel is they don't feel that appreciation. So I definitely felt that early on. And that's what led me to open a salon. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm sorry to hear about that experience, um, but certainly understand why this might have been the impetus um, for doing what you're doing now. Um, and we've talked a little bit about uh, the importance of mentorship. And for you, building up a team and working with you know your team members to develop their skill sets. Yeah. How do you go about that as you're sort of doing all of these other things? We talked about wearing a bunch of different hats. Um, how does mentorship happen at your salon? Yeah. So, I mean, very early on when I did have more time, I would like come in on my days off. I would stay after clients and really take the time to invest in the girls. Mm. If they would bring a model in, we would go over the models together. And as my schedule just gets more busy and juggling everything, what I told them was if I can't invest my time, I will send you to education to make sure that you're still getting education. Mm. And I had this conversation recently because my schedule has got more busy. And as an owner, how do you mentor girls when you have no time? Yeah. So their time is just as valuable. You know, they're there to learn, they're there to grow. So now I send them for education. If I can't give them that initial investment myself, at least they're getting that education mm -hmm. through sending them to classes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. How are you going about finding that education? It's like up to your standard. 
You know what? I, there's so many amazing artists on Instagram. And I feel like when I follow them and I see they're having classes in Toronto, that's like a no brainer. Like once they're in Toronto, we just go to their classes. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about mentorship. Um, were there any mentors along the way that sort of stuck out to you in terms of helping to guide your career? So there was a huge mentor. Um, I've really always looked up to Guy Tang. He's been an idol of mine early on in my hair career. And I remember just like loving his work, following him, commenting all the time. And then he actually ended up following me back, asking me to go to behind the chair. No hesitation. I booked my flight. Um, I went to New Orleans and the first person I met was Guy Tang. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so it was amazing because like I was meeting him and I was so early on in my career and he gave me the validation I needed. He's like, I've seen your Instagram. Your work is great. And all it took was me feeling validated by that because it's like when you look up to someone at that high stature and they give you that validation, it, it almost like gives you that confidence in your career. Mm. And I remember by just doing that, I came back to Toronto and I went from being booked two weeks to three months to six months to a year. And it was crazy because he didn't have to do that for me. Mm. And I just felt like it just took one person believing me for me to believe in myself. And I genuinely loved that he did that for me because he didn't have to. Wow. Yeah. And it was amazing because we continued to have a relationship. He came to Toronto. I got to go on stage with him. He went to visit the salon. And I just think like that, that really made me believe in the industry. And it made me believe that there's still genuine good artists out there that, you know, do pay it forward. And he was one of them. Ugh, ugh, I love that. That makes so much more sense um, now in terms of like threading your story together. Yeah, I love that you had that experience. Shout out to Guy Tang for making that happen. <laughs> and, and shout out to you for now paying it forward um, with mentoring your team and, and, and followers and everybody out there. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Um, how do you feel like the industry could do better to lift each other up? I mean, I feel like the industry could do better by just... <sighs> And I know that's the thing is I, I, here in Canada, Toronto, I feel like we're really supportive. We're constantly liking each other's posts, you know, congratulating each other. And there's really like, there's no, I don't feel like there's any competition. We're all kind of in our own lane, mm. but I think how we can really help each other and support each other again is like, if it's something that a stylist can't do, sending them to another stylist doesn't affect your success. So if it's something that I don't specialize in, I don't mind referring them out to another stylist here in Toronto mm -hmm. that specializes in that. And that won't hinder my success at all. I think that's what stylists should do is if it's something that we don't feel comfortable with, send them to another stylist that is comfortable doing it. Mm -hmm. And that really supports the other stylists as well, because maybe that's their strong point and that sends you know them another client. And it doesn't hurt your success at all by doing that. And they might even send somebody to you in return. We love reciprocity. That's incredible. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about Moroccan oil, mm -hmm. which I love. This is not an ad, but we're going to talk about the, the brand. Um, how did you get involved with Moroccan oil pro? So they reached out to me actually last year in January. And I remember they were telling me um, that they were coming out with a color line, um, which was amazing because I remember using Moroccan oil when that argan oil came out in high school. Mm-hmm. And I saved every drop of it. Like it was like, yeah. So I, that was for me, um, a big deal when I saw that email come in. So the first thing I had mentioned to them was send me the product. I want to try it. I want to see how it works. And for me, I'm a big believer. If I believe in something, then I will stand behind it. Mm -hmm. um, they sent it to me. I tried it. I loved it. And then I signed with them in March. Ah, oh, congrats. Yeah. What does the role entail? I'd love to, to hear about it. 
Yeah, so the role is a global ambassador partnership, and that entails me doing education on stage, traveling, involves doing photo shoots, interviews, social media posts. So everything kind of an ambassador does that fits that role. That's kind of like uh, what I do as well. So I'm their Canadian ambassador, and um, I just resigned with them again recently. We love that. We love that for them. Yeah. Good on them for resigning you. Um, what is your most favorite thing that you've done thus far with them? You know what? I think it really pushed me out of my element um, mm -hmm. doing stage work and photo shoots. And, you know, every day when you're in the salon behind the chair doing the same conventional thing every day, it really challenges you when you do stage work because that's something that's completely different from just sitting in a salon. Yep. So I think like what really helped me grow over the last year was one stage work and two doing photo shoots because it's out of the norm of just a hair picture. It's kind of like you're in a campaign and it's a whole different ballgame. Mm -hmm. So I think like just that alone really helped me grow as a stylist and it's really pushing me out of my comfort zone. And I'm looking forward to doing that again this year because I feel like this year I'm a lot more confident. So that's what I'm looking forward to is the challenges, but me being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Mm. Which is a lesson that we could all learn to, uh, to, from time to time. Um, all right, Lisa, we're going to get into our quick takes before we let you go, um, which are the questions that we ask of all of our guests on this podcast. So the first question that we got is, what is the first product that you remember owning, beauty or hair? The first product I remember owning... And that's the funny thing is all I can think about is the iconic Moroccan argan oil. <laughs> I feel like that was the first big beauty product that I was like, oh my God, I feel so luxurious was yep. that product. Have to have it. And that, that really comes to mind. I love that. Yeah. I feel like that's honestly one of mine too. Um, okay. Are you superstitious? And if so, about what? Um, so I'm not superstitious, but I believe that most hairdressers are like almost like I wouldn't use the word empath, but I think a lot of us are very intuitive. Mm -hmm. And the reason is we work with people every day. And because of that, I think we're able to pick up energy. Yep. Also, we yep. can get drained really easily and depleted. So I think like instead of being superstitious, I'm more about energy. Like I can pick up energy when you walk into a room, I can feel the energy. And I think a lot of hairdressers have this ability. I feel like you're very right. You're very right about that. Yeah. Um, okay. Who would play you in a biopic about your life? Good question. Who would play me? Um, that I'm actually not sure. I mean, just based off of my story, Jeff, who do you think could play me? I don't, this is impossible. I never like doing this one. Um, and it is always a shock to me when people are like, it's going to be this person. Yeah. Maybe the actress doesn't exist yet. And that's not a bad thing. Maybe I'm creating the story for that. So exactly. That's right. That's right. Yeah. There's more character development that has to happen before this biopic comes together. Um, all right. What do you consider to be the ultimate comfort food? The ultimate comfort food for me would be pho. Um, my background is Vietnamese. So I feel like pho is just soupy. It's hearty. After a long day of doing hair, it's just comfort. So that would be my comfort food. Mm, love that. And now I'm hungry. Uh, <laughs> say that you're on a deserted island and you can only bring three beauty products with you. Caveat. You don't have to worry about drinking you've got water you've got food there's shelter like you're just worried about like what are the products you're bringing along with you the like must-haves we are product junkies on this podcast we want to know what are they so could it be beauty related hair or makeup anything 
whatever you whatever the three products are if it's beauty it's hair okay lay it on us i'm gonna say one sunscreen spf because if you're on a desert island you want to make sure that your skin is protected so spf um a moisturizer would be great <laughs> um second thing i think i know we're on an island but i would bring a curling iron with me because i would still want to feel good about myself so curling iron there's nothing wrong with that is there a brand that you swear by um, you know what? I really love the mint tools just because it's it's a long curling iron rod um, and it's just so easy to use. So I would say that curling iron SPF. And third, if I can bring a last beauty item, I'm going to say hair oil. Plug, plug, plug. Um, I think being a hairstylist plays a lot into it because when you're on the beach or anytime I go away, even if I'm on an island, the main thing I'm concerned about is my skin and my hair. <laughs> That's honest. So Lisa, yeah, that's very, very true to life. Um, well, <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Before we let you go, where can people keep up with you? So you guys can keep up with me um, on my page, Lisa Din Hair Studio. Um, I also post a lot on my personal as well, which kind of has both my personal life and my hair life, which is at Lisa T. Din. Amazing. And we will link them in the show notes so people can just click through and go ahead and follow. Thank you for coming on. Amazing. Thank you so much. All right, Jeff, a true testament to, again, entering this beloved industry, setting your goals and never giving up on your dreams. Such an inspiration. I really just enjoyed our combo, especially sort of hearing about I mean, she was quite open about some of the frustrations that she had in coming up mm-hmm. and how she's trying to build a space that's totally different than that for the people that she's wanting to mentor. And I loved that, like such a, a cool person doing really cool things out of Toronto. So shout out to Canada. We don't often have Canadian guests, but here we did. We love it. Be sure to hit subscribe, rate and review and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and TikTok at Read the Tease and send in questions to volumeup at thetease.com. Volume Up is a Tease Media production. This episode was produced by Monica Hickey and Madeline Hickey. Brian Daly is our editor and audio engineer. Thank you to Josh Landowski and Nathan Folks for the custom volume up theme song. And thank you to our creative team for putting together the graphics for this episode.